0: Now, what I want to do in the next couple of minutes, and I'm going to move really quick, is I want to walk us through just to remember where we've been in our study of Habakkuk and of 2 Thessalonians. We chose these books initially because they were a way for us to kind of stretch out a little bit in the idea of radiant peace rooted in confident expectation. So one of the pillars of our vision for the future of this church is this idea that we want to be a community that radiates peace into the lives of those we come into contact with But the only way we're going to be able to radiate peace is if we ourselves have peace. And the only way we're going to have peace to pour out into the lives of others is if we have a true and faithful, confident expectation in the character of God and what he's promised and and what he has told us. So we dived into, uh, we dived, we dove, we dove into Habakkuk uh, and 2 Thessalonians as a way to kind of... Explore what this looks like biblically uh, for for God's people throughout the years. I want to start here by walking us through uh, Habakkuk and our study of that. You'll remember uh, when we first started studying Habakkuk that the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 1 of the book, he comes to God with his concern. In fact, in Habakkuk 1-2 he says, "'O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save?' He cries to God in his fear and confusion and pain. And if you were with us when we studied that chapter, you'll remember us saying, that's a great choice. In the midst of anxiety and in the midst of confusion and in the midst of fear, the proper place to turn is to God who is in control of it all. Now he's turning to God in frustration. He's turning to God in a little bit of anger. Um, and God responds to his cries By saying in verse 5 of Habakkuk chapter 1, you will be amazed. You're going to wonder and be astounded at what I'm going to do because I am going to take care of the problem you've mentioned, but I'm going to do it in a way that's completely different than what you would have expected or what you would have asked for. We talked at the time about the fact that for us as followers of God, there's a difference between having faith in God as he is and faith in what we think we know about God. Now, You may remember that if you're part of the family here and you were in that study. There's a difference between me putting my faith in what I've learned or what I think I know, putting God in a box, or putting faith in the God who is, who explodes the walls of our boxes, right? Who is bigger than we can comprehend, who is more loving, who is more just, who is more holy and gracious than we can comprehend. God looks at Habakkuk and says, I am gonna do something about what you're crying out to me about, but it may not be the way in which you anticipated it. In fact, he tells Habakkuk that he's going to punish the wickedness around Habakkuk by using the enemies of Judah. In chapter two, Habakkuk says, well, I'm going to wait and I'm going to watch. I'm going to see what God will say to me in response to my second complaint. And God affirms in Habakkuk 2.4, he says to Habakkuk, he says, behold, speaking about those who are crooked in soul, he says, there are those who are puffed up and their soul is not upright within them, right? That's because they're trusting in themselves in their own selfishness. He says, but the righteous will live by faith. And when we were studying Habakkuk chapter two, we were reminded that it's easy to sort of get bloated on ourselves, or what we know, or what we think we know, or our experience, or the lines on our resume, or whatever else, but that the righteous doesn't live puffed up on on himself, or herself, that the righteous lives in faith before God. God goes on at the second part of Habakkuk chapter 2 to uh, absolutely affirm that justice will come, that he is in his temple, that he is on the throne, and that he will in no way let the guilty go unpunished. When we come to Habakkuk chapter 3, you'll remember there's a lament there, and Dr. Daniel Kim came and he talked to us about the different components of a lament. There's this lament song in Habakkuk chapter 3, as Habakkuk reminds himself of who God is, that God is creator and warrior and king. And in response to that reflection, as he himself responds to who God has been in the past, which is what we're doing as a community this morning, he is then reminded in himself, based on who God is, that even if there is no grape on the vine, that even if there is no flock in the stall, right? Remember, uh, I'll read this one to you. This is Habakkuk. 3.17 and following, Habakkuk says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We talked at the time about this idea of grapes on the vine being uh, what, what he would need for the future and that grain is what he needs for sustenance for today and that his flock in the pen has to do with the investment he's made in the future. He says, even if my plans for the future and my hope for the present and my investment from the past, even if those things fall apart, I will not waver because God is faithful. I will put my faith in God. I will rejoice. So we talked at the time about the idea that he will joy in the Lord because God is our salvation, and because Habakkuk will say, he enables my feet to be like a deer's feet, which at first sounds a little bit weird, But the idea is that deer have the ability to scale these incredible heights. He says, God will transform my feet to be able to overcome whatever obstacle faces me. He will transform my feet so that I can traverse over the top of what would otherwise seem like an insurmountable obstacle. And in that process, God will take me to new heights. Habakkuk is a changed man from chapter one to chapter three. He goes from a man who has all kinds of questions of God and some frustration with God to being a man who can say, even if my future doesn't look super hopeful and even if I don't have what I need in the present and even if my plans from the past have failed me in this current day, God remains who he is. We went from that study into a study of 2 Thessalonians. And you'll remember at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes to this little church that he had planted, and he commends them for being a successful church. We talked that first Sunday in 2 Thessalonians about the marks of a healthy church. And we talked about the fact that it doesn't have to do with how many people are in the seats. That's good for us today because there aren't very many people in the seats, right? It doesn't have to do with the size of our budget. It doesn't have to do with how many buildings we have. It doesn't have to do with how many programs we run. He commends them in that moment for their growing faith. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness of faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. He commends them for their growing faith, for their abundant love, and for their hope in the midst of difficulty, for their hope in the midst of suffering. He goes on at the end of chapter one to affirm that even in the midst of the persecution and the trial they're facing, that God sees them, that he is present, that he will dispense justice, that he is transforming them, or He has counted them worthy of the kingdom of God, and he will give them relief or rest. We couldn't have known when we were studying Habakkuk and 2 Thessalonians chapter one, how much we would need verses like that concepts like that in the coming weeks as now we're isolated and we're unsure about the future and the past and the present. He looks and says, God sees you. He will dispense justice. He will do good. He is holy. He will, uh, he, he will absolutely transform you and give you peace. As we move into 2 Thessalonians chapter two, you'll remember he speaks to a second issue. He's trying to comfort them, not only in the midst of their affliction or their persecution, but also in the midst of some false teaching. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter two, remember he encourages them not to be shaken or deceived by the guesses people might be making about the return of Jesus or the end of human history. But instead he wants us to have confidence in the things that God has guaranteed, that he will gather us to himself that Jesus will return, and that he will punish those who have proven to be haters of the truth. At the end of chapter two, in verse 13, he reminds them who they are, and I think this is a great reminder for us this morning as well. He says to the church in Thessaloniki, this is 2 Thessalonians 2.13, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved. Through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He reminds us that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are called, that we are saved, that we are sanctified, that we will be glorified, and that you and I, as the followers of Christ, are meant to be the first fruits of an increasing crop of those who will believe and trust in Christ. Comforted by the fact that we're not the only those who have been chosen and called and loved and saved. But we are the beginning of those that God will choose and call and love and save and sanctify and glorify. And some of that will happen through our faithfulness to the things that we've been taught in the scriptures. The things that he's modeled. That brings us then to chapter 3. And in chapter 3 he affirms them again. He asks for prayer for himself. But he reminds them that God is faithful. He prays that the word of the Lord will speed ahead and be honored. And we're praying the same thing in the midst of this difficult time. That God's word would speed ahead even as we're all slowed down. God is faithful, he says in verse three. He will establish and guard us from the schemes of the devil. But he reminds us in in chapter 3, and we just looked at this a couple of weeks ago, he reminds us not to be idle. And that idleness, if you remember, isn't just about laziness, it isn't really about laziness at all, it's more about disorder. He says we need to be marching in step, we need to be marching in unity so that we're revealing the truth of who Christ is. And that has to do with all of us working faithfully and diligently, being industrious, for the sake of making a contribution, right? We make this contribution, and in so doing, we paint a picture of a, a body of Christ that is united in sacrifice. He says, be careful of those who are idle or who, who are out of order, who don't paint an accurate picture of who Jesus is, because, again, we're meant to be the first fruits. At the end of Second Thessalonians chapter 3, he prays this prayer for them in benediction, he says, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He prays for them, and we prayed this for each other last week, that, that the peace of God would be with us in all ways at all times, which is a steep order in the midst of our current day. He also prays here that we would recognize the presence of Christ with us all the time. For some of you who may be isolated and alone, not necessarily in a social cohort or isolated with other people, you get the importance of the presence of Christ. Even for those of you who may be isolated with your families, you're probably feeling the importance of the presence of Christ. And then he prays that the grace of God would be present to us. We've had a great study through Habakkuk and 2 Thessalonians But the key in all of it is that we would have a confident expectation in who God is so that there would be a peace that resides in us as the people of God that would radiate out of us so that we wouldn't just be the fruit of God's saving work, but we would be the first fruit in a much greater harvest. It's never been more relevant than it is to us today, even as we try and navigate these new circumstances. Amen. Well, we want to finish this morning with a little look to the future. We've spent some time reflecting on where we've been. We've heard some reports from folks about where we currently are. but I want to read to you out of Isaiah chapter 43. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We'll put the, we'll put the words on the screen. The context here is of God reminding his people of who they are, even in the midst of changing circumstances. And so it says this, starting in verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who were deaf, yet have ears, All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior." I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, for the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. God looks at his people and he says, I want you to remember who I am and I want you to remember who you are. You are my chosen, you are my beloved, you are those I have redeemed, you are my witnesses. He says, when all these other people are testifying about all this stuff that is not true, you testify to the truth of who I am. And he looks at them and he says, look, you you remember that I led you out of Egypt, you remember that I delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh, but I don't want you to live in the past. I don't want you to constantly think of yourselves as people who had their greatest days Beforehand, He says, I want you to know I'm doing a thing now. The same God that parted the waters then will put streams in the desert today. The same God that delivered you in the past will deliver you today. He says, in essence, he's saying, the past illuminates the truth of who I am, but you have to think contextually about who you are in this context. The reality is that the people of God are called to the same purpose even though their circumstances change. They're the same people called into new situations time and time and time again. God stays the same. Their purpose stays the same. But their circumstances change and God looks at them and says, I don't want you to be people who only think of the past. I'll tell you, we're in a weird time, right? This is a weird circumstance. And there is a temptation for all of us as a church family here at Fullerton Free to dwell on how things were, to dwell on how nice it was when we could all sit in the room together and lift our hands and sing praises and gather in our adult fellowships. We can have our kids in Sunday school and, and children's programs and whatever. But we do not want to be people who spend a ton of time thinking about the past and how it was. What we have to do is let the past illuminate the truth of who God is and remember that we are the same people called to the same things today that we were three months ago that it is our responsibility in this day and age to look to God and to contextualize in this new context how do we be the people of God? How do we be his witnesses? How do we be his chosen? How do we be the redeemed and his servants? How do we be worshipers? It's our job to figure out this new time because it's not ever gonna be like it was, right? No matter what, no matter what the next three months look like, Things are going to be different. We're going to be growing. We as individuals are going to grow and change. God is conforming us to his image. He's considered us worthy for the kingdom, right? So we're being transformed. Our culture, our world is being transformed. It's our responsibility in this season to remember that we are the same people called to the same purpose by the same creator. But we have to think in a fresh way about this new context i've got eight things and i know we're already over time but i want you if you have a note piece of paper you can play this back later eight things that i'm thinking through right now in this season and i want to share them with you because i want you as the family of god to be thinking about them as well the first one is how do i worship god today I will tell you that last Sunday, uh, I I find it very difficult to worship in front of a computer screen, to stand in my living room and sing songs the way I do in this room. So I'm, I'm not able to just go, well, I guess I just won't worship God through song. I have to find a different way to do it. I have to think fresh about how I glorify God in my thoughts and words and deeds and attitudes. If singing at the top of my lungs in my living room with my kids sitting next to me feels strange, that doesn't give me the ability to opt out of worshiping. I've got to figure out new and fresh ways to worship God. So the question is, how do I worship God today in this context? The next one is, Darren, how do I disciple others? Maybe I use the internet. Maybe I talk to people across the street, you know, 12 feet apart. How, how am I discipling my family in this season? How am I discipling my spouse in this season? How am I discipling my neighbors or those I'm having conversations with online? But I cannot leave the process of discipleship. That's something we're called to as followers of Jesus. How are you discipling others today? That's number two. Number three, how do we continue to give and sacrifice even though we may be locked in our homes, right? Right? Well, we've talked week after week about the giving that happens here in our church. There are lots of ways to do that. You could mail your financial gifts in. You can do that on text. You can do that online. There are all kinds of ways for you to continue to contribute financially. And it's important that you do that both as we're modeling unity and sacrifice, but also so that the ongoing efforts of the church can continue. But how do you give even beyond financial offerings? What does service and sacrifice look like in this context? That's a question I'm needing to answer. It's a question you're needing to answer. How do I evangelize and share my faith in a time where I don't see anybody but my family? I have to find ways to do that online. Maybe you do that through social media. Maybe you do that through distant conversations, phone calls, letters. I don't know. But evangelism is something we're called to as a people. How do I grow in my own faith? How, how do I become more like Jesus in my faith and hope and love? He Remember, he commends the church at Thessaloniki for their growing faith, for their abundant love, for their steadfast endurance in the midst of crisis. How am I growing? Maybe I'm reading scripture at a set time every day. Maybe I'm digging into the Bible. Maybe I've got a small group gathering o- online through Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. But I cannot neglect my own spiritual growth. I have to be intent on becoming more like Jesus and leaning into that process how do I prioritize prayer and conversation with God? Unfortunately, I think for many of us, we sort of relegate prayer to what happens in here on a Sunday. In, in this sense, having this thing on Sundays blown up is really good for our spiritual life because not worshiping on a Sunday in this room together is not a great excuse to, to opt out of conversation with God. We're called to be people of prayer without ceasing, right? So what does is, what is that ongoing prayer life look like These are questions I want you to ask. Two more. How do you stay in community? How do you remain a part of the body even though we're isolated? I'll tell you, if you're new to our family, maybe you're joining us for the first time, there are all kinds of ways to get connected to adult fellowships, to get connected to community groups, and that might seem weird in a time of isolation, but we can connect you with groups of believers virtually over the internet, but you're called to be part of a body. You're not called to be a Lone Ranger or to live in isolation. You have to be asking yourself, how do the people of God in this time period, in this season, Remain connected to one another. Community and body life is essential. And then lastly, how do I abide in Christ? Jesus is very clear in John 15 that we find joy in abiding in him, remaining in his truth, remaining in his love. How do you abide? Are You, you feel fidgety these days? You feel a little stir crazy? You feel a little bit discouraged? You feel a little bit like your world is kind of falling apart? Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're not sure how you're going to pay your bills. Maybe your school's been canceled, Right? Maybe you're sick. Maybe you know somebody who's sick. I think at this point, we kind of all do. How do you abide in Christ in the midst of these these new situations? We are the same people called by the same God to the same purposes and it is our responsibility in the days ahead as we look to the future in response to what God has done in the past. As we look to the future, you and I have to answer these questions. How do we worship? How do we pray? How do we stay connected? How do we share our faith? How do we disciple others? How do we grow ourselves? How do we give and serve and how do we abide in Christ so that we can be a people of confident expectation who radiate peace? As God pours his shalom into us, it overflows out of us into the lives of others. These are questions I think that we as the people of Christ have to be answering in the days ahead because he's the same God who's called us to the same things in a brand new situation. And for all we know, it'll be another new situation in six months, but right now, We have a responsibility to be witnesses to the truth of who Christ is in the situation in which God has placed us, even though that's hard.